Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Our inability and unwillingness to, to quit or take less or to be quiet about the inequities that we face comes from all of those players that came before. That's the DNA. That's the fabric. That's why we're here um, fighting the way that we are. So, you know, I know they won't see the benefits of it. <laughs> I'll barely see the benefits of it. Um, but I hope everybody takes pride in knowing that they were a huge part in, you know, hopefully seismically shifting soccer in the country for women. Welcome to Off the Looking Glass. I'm Kate Fagan. I'm Jessica Smetana. And that voice you heard at the top of the show was Megan Rapino, our friend, friend of the pod. Megan. That's right. That was from King Five Sports in Seattle. And Megan was putting the bow on the big news that the U.S. women's national team has reached pay equality. So champagne popping, right? That's amazing. Do we pop champagne for like the bare minimum, which is equal pay? Like we're ignoring the fact that like they should probably be paid more, right? Right, right, right. Sh- I guess we should pop the champagne. It was a historic CBA agreement. The men's national team and the women's national team came together. They agreed to pull mm-hmm. the FIFA prize money, which was a big hurdle. Mm-hmm. The settlement that came out, you know, over a month ago now included back pay. So like there's a lot of good things to be popping champagne bottles over, right, yes. Kate? And so, yeah, to that original question, I think absolutely we pop champagne because, I mean, this could be rolled back in 50 years for all we know. <laughs> so we should celebrate. We should celebrate while we can celebrate here. But you and I wanted to take a couple minutes before we tell the listeners what's on the show today to talk about the U.S. Women's National Team because I saw this one tweet, Jess, and it was essentially like, Ladies, do you know where your husbands or boyfriends are? Because I'm a little worried they're currently beneath a U.S. Women's National Team article complaining. Mm. And so I think there's differing perspectives out here. And I thought we should at least take a minute to offer a little off the looking glass perspective yeah, on this. For sure. First of all, with like the general assumption that the men are giving money up to the women, that the women were once again a charity who need to be shared with. <laughs> and two, just offering a little bit of a historical perspective about right. why men's sports has this massive pie and perhaps how it's not just charity, but that in a lot of ways is like historical wrongs that have been done to women's sports. Right, right. Because the one thing, Kate, that we keep hearing about this historic agreement is like, oh, there's so much money in the men's game, like pulling the prize money because the FIFA prize money for the men is so big. Men's soccer is so big internationally. And it's like, huh, I wonder why. I wonder yeah. if it's maybe because they've actually been allowed to play soccer uninterrupted for, I don't know, centuries. Yes. I mean, if we open up a history book, it might tell us that in England, they canceled women's soccer for 50 years and that in mm. the U.S., that women's sports has been cut off at the knees repeatedly. So I think yeah. there is a different perspective to it. And then the other part of it being that we're just assuming the men are like begrudgingly giving up money and not acknowledging that women's sports especially women's soccer, especially international women's soccer, is a bit of a rocket ship taking off. Their prize money is right now like a sixth, a seventh of what the men's is. But 
I feel like the the U.S. men's national team is making a pretty calculated decision here, not just that this will help its sponsorship and will help its prestige and people's perspective of it, but also that they are now tying themselves to the best women's soccer team in the world with prize money that is only getting bigger. Right, like an incredibly undervalued brand. I think, like, the first time I heard you say that, I felt that it was a little cynical, but, like, having mulled it over now for a few days, I'm like, yeah... They're kind of tying themselves to like a safe bet. So maybe it's a little cynical. Maybe it is like the right thing to do to like pool this prize money. But you're right. It's like in the 90s being like, hmm, I've heard of this thing called Nike that I feel like (laughs) I feel like people aren't paying attention to yet. And I think it might take off. So let's invest a lot of money in it. But, you know, it's a little different because I think the U.S. women's national team is like a sure bet. Yes. They're really good. Yes. The men... Not only are the men tying themselves to a team that seems to pretty much routinely, and I know international soccer is getting better, be in the finals of the World Cup, which has like a dollar amount tied to it. But in addition, as you said, like an undervalued entity, I think the men realize that if they are shoulder to shoulder with the women and they demand that the women's team is marketed and sold and sponsorships are brought in and there's true diligence brought to maximizing the women's value, that that value is much higher than the current bottom line suggests. So this doesn't seem like men just being like, yeah, sure, we're willing to give up millions of dollars for equality. It seems like they're like, "Mm, smart play for all of us. Yeah, it is a smart thing to do. I mean, was something I heard Megan Rapino say on the Levitard show like a week ago, which was like, hey, if U.S. soccer has been ripping us off for all these years, like you guys might want to look into this, too, because there's a pretty good chance they're ripping everyone off just as much, yep. maybe a little bit less. But I think you're right, Kate. I think like there's also the fallacy of like you have to take away from the men's sports to give to women's sports mm-hmm. seems to like be existing a little bit here. Because on like a broader level, not just talking about like the CBA and and the prize pool money, like this has been an argument against Title IX because people who are against Title IX always claim that it hurts men's sports because to make things equal for women's sports at universities, you have to cut men's sports or men's scholarships or men's team's funding when like that's just like a university's like budget choice. You could just add more women's sports and not have to cut men's sports to make things equal. And so it always comes down to like, well, you know, you have the men have to give something up for the women to be equal. It's like, no, we could just we could just give the women four hundred and sixty million dollars in prize pool money in the next World Cup. FIFA's not going to do that. And that's why they had to come to this agreement in the CBA between the two teams. But you don't always have to give something up for someone just to be like making what they're worth. Yeah, it's definitely not zero sum. And it feels like the labor and labor of the men and the women on the U.S. Women's National Team realize that. And they're like, oh, okay, your pie is getting bigger. Ours will get bigger. Let's all make sure that we're growing together rather than just... Yeah, we like pie. This is something we talk about on our show a lot. Like, we all want pieces of pie. Yes, well... Now we want baked goods from your women's sports only (laughs) baked goods shop. But sometimes you make pie if it's a cookie, if it's a bar. I mean, we're here for it. It's a pie shaped like equality. Will will you make cookies in honor of the U.S. Women's National Team as quote unquote allies? 
or I don't know. What would these cookies have on them? I guess I pictured them in the shape of the men's national team players. I don't know. That might be too detailed for your skill set. That's way. That's yeah. We need to dumb that down significantly. I could do like a circle, maybe like a soccer ball, but hexagons are difficult. So I don't know. Okay, then it'll just be a blue soccer ball because that obviously means men. So that's what. Okay, that's what those cookies will be like. They'll be beautiful though. People, it'll be the details. God is in the details, Jess. <laughs> Thanks. Should we detail what's on the show today? Yes, we should. We have I'll let you one do of this. I'll my let you do favorites. This. Please let me do this. Skylar Diggins-Smith, a Notre Dame goat. Mm-hmm. And then, Kate, we have an extra extra. Yes. With a story that people will want to hear. Yes. Because holy shit, what the hell is going on? In Tennessee. Yes. It's specifically in Tennessee. It must happen in Tennessee. And there's <laughs> the shots of Jim Beam involved. So I think you'll want to stick around for this one, right? And of course, as always, Jess, don't skip the ads. The legend of our upcoming guest began back in 2009 with a spot in Sports Illustrated's Faces in the Crowd. She was the Naismith Prep Player of the Year, then a two-time winner of the Nancy Lieberman Award at Notre Dame. She's a five-time WNBA All-Star, an Olympic gold medalist, and one of the coolest athletes around. All right, let's do it. Let's bring her on. Skylar Diggins-Smith. All right, Skylar, thanks for hopping on with us. We appreciate it. Jess and I, we kind of have a running joke about the sports drink we drank growing up. I was kind of like a Riptide Rush kid, but will you tell me what your... All right, I'm getting a nod for that. That's pretty good. <laughs> will you tell me what what it is about body armor that works for you? You know, to be honest, I've been with the brand since about 2014. Like right when I came out of college, I heard about Body Armor. This company was trying to do some things and tried the product. And then in the off season of the WNBA, I started doing these these camps and I would go around the country and do these camps and the brand would come out to support. And I had them hydrating our camp. That was who was sponsored by. Sometimes Body Armor wasn't even in those states that we were in. Like it wasn't in cute little Tulsa, Oklahoma that I was playing in, you know, not yet. Mm -hmm. It didn't make it there first. But, you know, I did camps there and people were asking, what is this? And really taking a liking to the brand. And, you know, around that time, that's when I started being, you know, in Body Armor as an athlete and a, a shareholder, a stakeholder in the company. And um, seeing it come full circle, just seeing all the products that the brand has dropped since then. And now with the uh, Body Armor Edge coming out, it's just been dope to see the evolution of the brand and how it keeps getting better and better and Obviously, with with something like this, this little strawberry slam on right here, it just kind of it's essentially if you like body armor, it's essentially it tastes essentially the same. But it has just kind of a little bit of extra like electrolytes, you know, antioxidants, natural caffeine. And you don't have like a big crash, but it just helps you maintain through the day. I mean, you know, y'all y'all on the move, whether you're traveling or you are an athlete like me or you know, whatever. I, I drink it to keep up with my three-year-old, you know what I'm saying? To match his energy. But yeah, I think it's just, it's a game changer in the, in the brand and the industry. And yeah, I'm excited to be a part of the spot. I think it's an exciting spot. You know, they picked all the athletes that kind of have a chip on their shoulder and play with a little bit of, you know, little spiciness, you know, like John Morant, you know, myself, Kyler Murray, 
Mookie Betts. And so it's kind of a lot of symbolism in it, but it kind of takes you through this virtual world of us facing all these obstacles and challenges from the field and just really showing some resilience and pushing through. So it's a lot of symbolism in the spot. And I think it's dope. It's going to be something that, that people really like. What do you think the chip on your shoulder comes from? You know, I think just how I grew up. My mom was really young when she had me. My parents were 19 and 20. And so I think just seeing my mom, just the way that she was taught me how to be resilient and really push through and just teaching me for me, just getting to kind of grow up with her, if you will, and getting to see all those obstacles. And so it really starts close to home with with having that example of how to get over hurdles. My mom, you always say they call them hurdles because you can get over them. And so mm-hmm. for me, it, it starts there in the house, you know, just seeing that first example of, of a woman and of a person to have that much influence. And so that was my example. And and then of course, along the way in sports injuries, you know, I've been through the ACL, MCL meniscus surgery. I've, I've been through not an injury, but, you know, coming back from the birth of my son and just obstacles that you face more challenges, you know, above the neck than you do physically with that return and postpartum depression and, you know, yeah. And then just real life things that happen. So, you know, personally speaking, it's a lot of obstacles that I'm sure I will continue to endure and show resilience through. But I think the fact of the matter is I'm still here. <laughs> I'm still here and I'm pushing through. And so, yeah, I think that's a little bit of it for me. One thing I've been thinking about, because you've probably seen the last couple of days, there's been a couple college hoopers who are going back to their hometowns, right? They're like going back to right. UVA, going back to Indiana. Yeah. And I was wondering, and, and a lot of the storytelling around that, at least even that they're saying is like, you know, maybe they, they left home for a little bit because they wanted to prove to themselves or see a different place, but then they got drawn back home. For you, was there ever a time, because this is pre like portal, right? When you could transfer easily. Were, were you ever yeah, thinking, yeah. I got to get out of South Bend. I got to get out of here and I got to prove myself somewhere else before I can come back. Was that ever like a tug for you? Yeah, maybe not the whole prove myself part, but getting out of there for sure. Because <laughs> you know what? South Bend and Notre Dame, like people don't realize if I stood on the roof of my dorm, my mom stood on the roof of the house, we probably could wave <laughs> at each other. You know, you know, obviously using some hyperbole, but just saying I was right there. You know what I'm saying? Not an hour away, not 45 minutes away, not 30 minutes, but like six, <laughs> you know? And so I really was, and this is how you know, because my two schools were Notre Dame and Stanford. And you know how those schools are. You don't get the pick of the litter with those schools. Not everybody that you want as a basketball player can make it through the admissions process. You know, you don't just have the pick of the litter at those schools. I don't think a lot of people understand that as well. And so with Stanford, you have to apply before you can get in. So I had to apply to Stanford and I had to go through the application process was intense for me at 17, 16 years old. Going through that process at the time, I was like, oh, Lord, if I get in, I'm going. And um, I don't know if you guys know, but at the time, you know, NECA and I are really close. We grew up in the USA, you know, system, U14, 15, you know, ever since we were could stand up. We've been in USA basketball and she hosted me at Stanford. So I wanted to play with NECA and I wanted to play with Chanae. And then I think literally overnight when I woke up, I was like, I'm going to Notre Dame. Like I just, I didn't want to leave. And I think everybody's circumstances are different because at the time, you know, we didn't really have the luxury and my parents didn't really have the luxury of going back and forth to California, you know? And so I knew, honestly, you know, it, that's, see, that's another level to it. Just at the time I knew that, you know, my family probably wouldn't be able to see me play a lot. Yeah. They might be asleep when I'm playing, 
you know, the time zones is different. I'm in the Pac-12. And so I really, my decision was personal because I, I just wanted to play in front of my mom and my granny. You know, I wanted my cousin, I wanted my friend up the street, you know, my childhood friend to be able to see me play the community. And so it was really deeper than than just like wanting to be closer far. It was personal for me because I wanted to put Notre Dame back onto the basketball map. So this is where I have to tell you that I also attended Notre Dame. That's right. We overlapped hey. like kind of for a year. But one thing that I noticed okay. after you went to Notre Dame, and I grew up a big Notre Dame women's basketball fan because both of my parents went to school there too. The community really seemed to rally around the basketball team. And I think you were kind of like a catalyst for that because you were a homegrown star and someone that it felt like people who didn't really have like a, a relationship with the women's basketball team before could easily follow on to because they wanted to see you succeed and see someone from South Bend make it at Notre Dame and then make it in the W. So I was wondering if that was something that you noticed at the time or that you felt or anticipated when you decided to stay home and go to Notre Dame. Yeah, you know, I really felt like I met everybody in the city, uh, to be honest. And so, but the person that did that for me, it was Jackie Baptiste. Jackie Baptiste, she went to Washington High School. She went to the same high school as me. She went to Notre Dame. So I got to see Jackie Baptiste from South Bend, Washington, same school as me. When I saw her go to Notre Dame, I was like, oh, okay. It's tangible for me. That's right. the, That was the blueprint was Jackie Baptiste. And, um, you know, just being from South Bend, getting to see her play at Notre Dame, that really lit a fire underneath me. Like, wow, I can do this too. She looks like me. I looked up to her for a long time. So she, Jackie Baptiste was really the one that kind of jumped it off with like being from South Bend and like bringing Indiana and then Melissa Lechleitner was another one mm-hmm. that was kind of, she was from Mishawaka. She went from <laughs> South Bend, but she was from Mishawaka. You know, same it's difference, a different, yeah. Same, same you know, difference. No, it, it, but it ain't, but it ain't. <laughs> but you know, you know, yeah, okay. But she was from the, you know, she's from the area. And so I think that was somebody else that was from the area that you got to kind of got to see. So yeah, it was kind of trends that started with like Jackie Baptiste being on the team. And then obviously come around Melissa Lechleitner and then, my hype coming out of being Indiana Miss Basketball. You know, we had won a state championship in Indiana. And, you know, it was really a lot of hype coming into that season. And so we had other great players that I was surrounded by. So it was like a buzz of like, oh, look out for this team in a year or two. Yeah, but for me, that started with Jackie. Kate, to fill you in, Mishawaka is where the mall is. And if you're a student who Mm. has a car, that's like a far distance away, even though it's really like a five minute (laughs) drive, right? Like, yes, it feels like effort. a different universe. It's, no. <laughs> no, it is. The I was just nodding along because I have no <laughs> idea what's happening on that front. But we had a moment. Sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so we'd be remiss not to ask you this. We had your former coach on Muffet McGraw, and she she had some opinions about a little something called UConn privilege, UConn bias. As a Notre Damer who is seen this from the inside. Do you think there is a bias, like a preferential treatment given to UConn? Um, you know, I hate this question because <laughs> it's a lose-lose for me. You know, I, I can't, it's a win-win I can't win say for anything us, right in this situation. <laughs> yes, you know, I, no matter what I say in this quote, it's, it's controversial. But, you know, I can talk all the mess that I want to. You know, obviously they don't have to leave their state until the Final Four. You know, I know the NCAA also doesn't want teams to play in empty stadiums and they draw. But, you know, it was tough for us. I remember in the Big East having to play at the Excel Center. It was like and for us to have won a championship, a Big East championship in 2013 there. It was like rare. 
And so you kind of felt that in a sense, like, dang, why did they get to host it? Why? Well, they win it. Well, why? Yeah, they hosting it. I mean, if we had it at Notre Dame, you know, and so I think you kind of, you know, we inherited that at Notre Dame early, you know, kind of that rivalry in a sense. And so you started to feel that, yeah, they win all the time. And then, you know, I had to play against, you know, my mind is kind of everywhere because it's, it's levels to this. This is very layered to me um, <laughs> question. But yeah, I say all that, you know, they don't have to leave the state until until the final four. So I know a lot of people feel some sort of way about that. But so do you think it is? That's what I'll say. Yeah. I mean, that's our position on the podcast is I, just, not I don't that, think it's, it's like a, I just think it's kind of it's obvious, you know, it does feel obvious and not that they're bad for the game, just that. Well, yeah, they're like a big monopoly in companies. Like, well, I think in the past, I mean, you see, like, honestly, with um, Rebecca Lobo and Swin and and Sue, Diana, Tina, Maya, Stewie. I mean, the players that have come to that university and their contribution to the game of basketball is undeniable. And then in the measurement of championships, you know, they're in a league of their own right now. What I will start to say is now that there's been a shift, it's more parity in our game that, you know, I do think that other schools have earned the right to to be more a part of the conversation. And to be honest with you, sometimes I feel like it's lazy journalism as well, as far as how we cover the sport Mm -hmm. and how it's easy if you haven't watched the game in in a while or, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're casual the last few years, you don't really invest time into seeing how these other schools are developing their accomplishments, teams like a Notre Dame, like Louisville, you know, programs like South Carolina and players. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's more parity now with the rule. We talk about the rules of people being able to say, I don't like her, I'm leaving, or this is not a fit for me or whatever the case may be. And so, yeah, I think, I think now it's a lot of factors that go into that case. And, and, and some of it is, is a twofold issue. Going back to the Notre Dame aspect where like you're absolutely right. It was like the Beatles at Shea Stadium sometimes when the women's basketball team would roll up. I remember when I was covering the team, I think it was the year after you left Skylar, there was a game where the men had a game. Basically, both teams were double booked at home. So the women had to play in Fort Wayne against another team. And so I was covering the I team. I remember that. So I drove out to Fort Wayne with like people we were covering it with. There were eight fan buses that shuttled people from South Bend so it basically it felt like a home game. Like there was a home crowd there, even though Fort Wayne and South Bend, it's like a two and a half hour drive, two hour mm-hmm. drive. But that's how crazy the Notre Dame fans were for the women's basketball team. Whereas I don't know if the men, if they played in Fort Wayne, if they would have bust out eight full buses to go to Fort Wayne to watch that game. <laughs> I don't know. But to be fair, it's always been like that in South Bend to me. It's always been like that with, you know, Notre Dame women's basketball. It's just something about and it's a lot to do with their efforts in the community. We be outside, you know, at Notre Dame, we move around in the community and it is important to to have that. Um, but yeah, I don't know what it is, man. It was, it was insane. And obviously you're successful and, and, and with that comes more people. Um, but yeah, it was, I, I, I would love, I, I see videos and hear stories all the time to one day we're going to tell some of those stories out loud. And, um, as long as uh, Deborah Peters doesn't get to tell some of them. <laughs> okay. So Skylar, I was in, I did a story with D and, and Brittany in Russia I'm not going to touch the BG thing in Russia right now, but one thing that D said that always stuck with me and and, and with D and and D said D D said 
two with under three to play here in the quarter and a little extra testiness on the Mercury bench between Skylar Diggins-Smith and Diana Taurasi. Oh, to be a fly on Turner's shoulder to hear that conversation. Down we go again to a rabbit hole, Jess. We're way, Woo! way, way, way down here. What are we doing down here? I don't know, but I love the echo effect, so... Echo! Do you have another word you want to say? Sky, 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 sky. <laughs> I don't know what it says about my lack of imagination that when I want to hear my voice echo, I say echo. I think everyone kind of does that. That's embarrassing for us as humans, I think. Yeah, we're not creative echo. people. Okay. Well, look, we had to bounce down because... We're newsy up to the minute people here on Off the Looking Glass, and we would be remiss to have Skylar Diggins-Smith on up top, up mm-hmm. from this rabbit hole, without acknowledging that, look, there's some stuff going down yes. in the WNBA. Some and drama. With the Mercury. So yes. what happened, Kate? There was a game, and there was a bench altercation? Kerfluffle. Kerfluffle? I guess uh, not an altercation. Not there really an words. altercation. Diana Taurasi and Skylar Diggins-Smith had words. They had words. It words, and for a split second, words said very, very close together. Yes. And look, I think our position on Off the Looking Glass is drama when you're in the middle of it is not always fun. No, it's terrible. But drama in sports is pretty great. Well, we've long, we've long argued that people in women's sports need to be pettier because it will help <laughs> people maintain an interest level, I think, because people love mess. So we obviously don't know what the Skylar Diggins-Smith, Diana Tarazi words were about. And we interviewed Skylar yeah. before they were had. Yes. But hopefully, you know, it's all going to get resolved and, and we'll all make up and play nice. But Kate, there was there was another person who was on Off the Looking Glass involved in this oh, word really? having, which was kind of not really directly involved. But Skylar Diggins-Smith liked a tweet. That Muffet mm. McGraw tweeted. And I wonder if you have... It's very Kevin Durant of her. I wonder if you have any perspective on this as a former basketball player. Muffet McGraw tweeted, Fear of conflict is one of the five dysfunctions of a team. Teammates who trust each other can give and take honest feedback. Great teams aren't afraid of conflict. That's how you grow. Two competitors who hold each other accountable and want to win can fuel a championship run. Hmm. If I mean, I... If, abs- yeah. You agree. I agree with that. Yeah, it felt like sure. it was definitely a subtweet and then Skylar liked it. So I don't know. Right. I think I think I agree with what Muffet's saying, although it begs the question, what are the other four dysfunctions of a team? Like she just left <laughs> us completely hanging and now I have to guess what they are. We should you should definitely reply to her and just say, look, dot, dot, dot. I mean, are you stringing these out over weeks like a Hulu show? When do we get part two, three, four, five? But I I don't. Because there is no audio of it, all we have is like the the split second visual of them both standing up and kind of going nose to nose, but we don't know what was said. All I can say is that it disheartens me because I like both of them, both as players. Obviously. But in another way, I have grown tired of the WNBA presenting itself as drama-free role model land right all all women's sports like oh like we're like we love kids like i don't love kids we're just reading to kids in school that's all we do why no exactly nobody loves kids right i mean that's my understanding i I don't know not even kids love kids come on (laughs) so from that perspective a little spice right now a little smoke i don't mind but again that is from because it is not in my life Right. And it's also not like that spicy. It's like smoked paprika or something. 
Yeah, it's definitely not like Aleppo pepper. I mean, oh, that God. really packs a punch. Kate, we yeah. we should not talk about peppers on a Metal Arc Media podcast. That's true. That's true. Let's go back you, up. <laughs> very deep reference. Deep reference, people. But yes, let's bounce back up. One thing that D said that always stuck with me, and, and BG kind of echoed it, was D was talking about like how... She just wants to be a hooper, right? Like that all kinds of athletes, like they want to, you know, they maybe they want to be start a production company and they want to do all these things, which I'm, yeah, that's awesome too. But D's position was, I'm a hooper. I only want to be known as a hooper, which feels very D-like, right? But when you hear, I'm sure you've heard her say things like this. My question is like, how do you define? Would I want to be like my legacy? Yeah. Are you, would you be like, I'm just a hooper or would it be more than that? Yeah. I mean, come on. Diana knows what she's doing. Come on. You know, Dee knows she ain't just a hooper. I think she wishes she, we all wish we could shut up and dribble in that sense, but we can't because we continue to advocate and wear so many hats and, and fight this good fight that we stand on the shoulders of so many before us. It's in us. It ain't on us. It's in us. And that passion about the game is why Dee will never just be a hooper because she's passionate about pushing the game forward. And so I'll just say that about her. But yeah, I don't know what I want, you know, to be defined as, you know, I'm just Sky. That's what I want to be defined as, just me. What I bring to the table, I wear a lot of hats. You know, I'm passionate about the game and growing the game of basketball, but I'm I'm passionate about creating generational wealth for my son. And I'm passionate about having choices and free time <laughs> and opportunities outside of the game because it is a part of me, but it's not just who I am. I don't think basketball just defines me. And so I, I don't want to just be defined as a hooper. I think that's just a phase of my life and what I can give to the game. I think the next phase of my life is being able to kind of reach back and see how I can continue. Cause I feel like I've given a lot to the game. If I just said, I'm this is my last year, I'm retiring, I'm done. Then I think people would get it, but you know, I don't want to just fade to black. You know, I want to be able to use my platform for something to create and curate spaces, you know, for other people, too. So, yeah, I think I'm a businesswoman. I'm a hooper. I'm a mom. I'm just Sky. Skylar, thank you so much for making time and for answering so thoughtfully. We appreciate it. Right on, y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Go Irish. Yeah, go Irish. You're a proud parent. Your child is an exceptional athlete with a promising career ahead. You've worked so hard to get your kid to this level, and their talents are completely out of your hands. But now, you've become totally unrelatable to your friends and close neighbors. You recite their stats to any poor somebody that will listen. You've been kicked out of book clubs, avoided at hardware stores, and no one invites you to parties anymore. Sounds like you need the brag hotline. The Bragg Hotline is a toll-free number that you can call anytime, day or night, and just let it all out. Our professional listeners are standing by and ready to pretend they're excited to hear about exactly how many rebounds your daughter grabbed in the second half of Saturday's game. Yeah, this was Kara's first game back after ACL surgery, you know, uh-huh. where she scored four, four goals, assisted two, had, I think it was a pass rate of like 90. 90- 90.1%. Oh, wow. Sure. Yeah. And 
signed the game ball and gave it to the little girl in the stands who was raising awareness for uh, endangered meerkats. Amazing. <laughs> she was playing field hockey the other day. Okay. And the coach said, Kara, Kara, come here. Mm-hmm. I could hear it because I was close. Sure. Yeah. And the coach was saying, you got to take it easy out there. And I stood up what? and I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Kara is going to score if she needs to. Right. And we don't believe in pulling back the reins until the game is over. I've told Kara that. Yeah. It's on it's on the garage yeah. wall. And okay. I said, Coach, let her go out there. It's field hockey. She needs right. to clack sticks and get to. more points. Right. And so she did. Amazing. Bragg Hotline doesn't have a time limit. So go on, Mom. Exhaust our operators with your endless list of proud moments. Derek wasn't expected to be a playmaker this season, but Mm -hmm. turns out he is. Mm -hmm. He really is. Okay, that's cool. It really puts him in a great position for next year, you know. Coach said scouts are already calling from so many prestigious schools. Absolutely. Academically and sportly. Uh One of them has even offered him a Tesla. Wow. They're electric, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, we kind of knew he was going places from the start. Would you like to hear some of his stats from Pee Wee Leagues? Ma'am, I am financially obligated to say yes. So save your friends and neighbors the stat onslaught and call the Bragg hotline. You'll feel better for getting it off your chest, and your community will stop ducking behind newspapers and small shrubs to avoid your small talk. Congrats again, by the way. You must be very proud. I'll never forget the March 1998 cover of Sports Illustrated, Pat Summit, up close, that iconic steely gaze, and the accompanying story written by the legendary Gary Smith. The issue dropped just before the Lady Vols won the program's sixth NCAA title in epic fashion, going 39-0 with the three Meeks running the court. You may have noticed I love telling stories about Pat Summit. I think it's because she bridges the gap between the past when coaches washed uniforms and drove team vans and the future when female athletes will take up increasing space in our sports world. Stories of Summit feel to me like allegories. If you want to know the grit and determination it took and takes to thrive, then, you know, let me tell you a little ditty about Pat Summit. Plus, nostalgia. I was one of those kids who read Raise the Roof, Summit's book on that undefeated season. And I even considered enrolling at Tennessee and walking on, just to see if I had what it took to play for Pat Summit. So, back to that Sports Illustrated cover. Turns out, Summit wasn't in love with it at first. Because I think she always felt like people viewed her as this command sergeant, that tough side of her. That, And she always wanted people to know the other side of her as well. And I think that that 
maybe portrayed her a little rougher and tougher than maybe what she wanted it to portray her as, but it did not diminish the significance of it or the importance of of it and what it meant to her. But she wasn't initially crazy about the cover. That was Tennessee assistant coach Mickey DeMoss, who worked with Summit for 18 seasons. DeMoss also figures heavily into the story I'm about to tell you. The story that our SI writer, Gary Smith, opened his 1998 article with. If you know only one Summit story, and how could that be possible if you listen to Off the Looking Glass, then let it be this one. Well, I've told it many times, but I guess, yeah, it has been a while since the last time I told it, I guess. Yeah, you want me to just start? That's DeMoss again. Her southern accent is perfection. She was the only one on the airplane with Summit back in the fall of 1990. Well, the only one other than those flying the plane, a chartered King Air. The pair were en route to Allentown, Pennsylvania to visit high school recruit guard Michelle Marciniak, a.k.a. Spinderella, a.k.a. the best high school recruit in the nation. Summit, though, was nine months pregnant. They landed in Allentown, no problem. But then... When we landed, Pat said, oh, you know, she kind of grabbed her stomach and she's like, oh, DeMoss. I said, wow, what's wrong? She goes, ah, I think my water broke. And I said, uh, what? I said, being childless. I said, what? Now tell me exactly what that means. I said, what? What does that mean, Pat? She goes, probably means I'm getting ready to go into labor. The pilots, they wanted to turn right back around to Knoxville. So did Mickey. But Pat? Nope. So they headed to the Marciniacs. Pat said, now Betsy. Betsy is Michelle's mom. Now, Betsy, don't say anything to Michelle, but, you know, my water broke when we landed, but I think I'm okay. And Betsy's like, oh, my God, Pat, you need to get out. You need to go. She says, no, no, we're going to do this visit. We're here. We're going to do it. When Michelle gets home from school, the visit starts. And Mickey pulls out the big recruiting book, photos of the gym and campus and dorms and past championship teams. Pat's sitting next to me and Michelle and Whitey were all sitting around this little cozy table and... All of a sudden, Pat goes, y'all have to excuse me a minute. Uh, Mickey, keep going. And so she gets up, waddles in the kitchen, you know, and I'm like, okay, anyway, um, yes, the dorms and, uh, you know, you're going to have this. And I could hear she and Betsy, they were getting on the phone. And Pat was calling her doctor. And I could hear her saying, uh, they're about, yeah, I think they're about maybe two minutes apart. Then, a couple minutes later. Pat said, Michelle. I didn't want to tell you this because I didn't want to take away from your visit, but I have gone into labor and I have got to get on the airplane. I've got to get out of here. I mean, she had started with contractions. So Michelle goes, well, holy crap. With Michelle and her brother leading the way, remember cell phones and GPSs weren't yet a thing, Mickey speeds back to the airport. Pat's got her feet propped up on the dashboard and About every two minutes, she lets out this yelp, like, oh, oh, oh. And I'm like, dang it, Pat, dang it. And I'm beating on the steering wheel. I'm going, what do you need me to do? I said, tell me, what do you need me to do? She said, first of all, I need you to calm down. 
She said, you're not having this baby. I am. And I said, true. That is true. They make it to the plane, get Pat aboard, and then Mickey files the flight papers and climbs the steps. And there's Pat. I said, Pat, I said, I don't know. I said, I I don't really know what to do. I don't know what to do. She says, first of all, take this. So she hands me this little cup. And I look at it and I said, what is it? She said, it's a couple shots of Jack Daniels. And I said, thank you. Thank you. I said, you sure you don't need it? She said, no, you need it more than I do. I said, I would agree to that. So I took a big swig of Jack Daniels, took a deep breath. The pilots get the plane back in the air. So she went from being on the seat next to me, then she got out on the floor. And then she, I'd say, what, what do you need me to do? What do you need me? She was just massaging my back. Just My back is killing me. So she would lean over the seat and I'd massage her back. And I remember the whole time I was trying to motivate her, you know, I was like, okay, all right, Pat. I said, listen, you can do this. I said, you can do this. I said, because I had recruited uh, Ruthie Bolton and Mayola Bolton to Auburn. And they were one of 20 children. And so I said, I said, Pat, think of, think of Ruthie Bolton. Just FYI, Ruthie Bolton is one of the most iconic figures in women's basketball history, a member of the 1996 Olympic team. Think of Ruthie Bolton. I said, her mother had 20 children. She had 20. Surely, you know, you can have one. You can do this. You can do this. The contractions kept coming and Mickey kept trying to encourage Pat. But eventually... She said, Moss, enough. Enough. And I said... Why? I said, why? What? She said, I am not worried about the pain. Not worried about the pain. I said, oh, okay. I said, what are you worried about? She said, I'm worried. She looked at me and pointed the fingers. I'm worried about having this baby on this airplane. And I looked at her and I said, well, that makes two of us, Pat. I said, I don't have any words for that. I said, because I'm concerned about that as well. At one point, the pilots called Mickey up. They had a proposal. They could land in Richmond, Virginia. The runway was cleared, ambulance waiting. Mickey went back to Pat, who said, DeMoss, I'm not going to tell you again. You go up and you tell those pilots, this plane better not land in Virginia. This plane better land in one place, and that is Knoxville, Tennessee. I'm not having this baby anywhere but in the state of Tennessee. And I said, you got it, Pat, you got it. So I went back up there, I said, guys, don't even think about putting this airplane down anywhere but Knoxville, Tennessee. Pat kept getting increasingly delirious. How did Mickey know? She said, you're going to get in the ambulance. You're going to come with me, right? You're going to get in the ambulance with me, right? I said, I couldn't wait to pass the torch at that point. And I said, "Uh, why do you want me to go? She said, you're the only one that knows what to do. I said, okay. I started laughing. I said, okay, I know you're delirious now. If you think I'm the only one that knows what to do. She started kind of laughing. She goes, yeah, but you've been. I said, no, no, no. I said, it's time for somebody with some medical background to take this over. On the ground in Knoxville, everyone was waiting. They put that plane down. You know how it usually takes a... You know, it takes five or ten minutes to land and taxi over. Oh no, we land. It was like we landed at the front door 
of the airport. Like, we were like, er, brakes on. We took one turn and bam, the doors were open. So we got her off the airplane and they were there waiting on her. And when I looked down the side of that airplane, it was just black smoke. Had, I mean, it was just this, I don't know what it's called, but it was the, the stuff from the exhaust was all over the side of that airplane. I'd never seen anything like it. I looked at those pilots and we just all hugged each other. We gave each other high fives. I said, dudes, y'all had this plane wide open. They said, did you see the side of this airplane? I said, I did, I did. They said, we burned every ounce of gas we had in this airplane to get her back. And they said, come on, come on, Mickey. One of them said, I've got some more Jack Daniels in my office in there. A few hours later, Tyler's summit was born. This might seem like the end of the story, and in one way, it was. But this day was also the beginning of another one. The first person that she called when she came out of labor, I promise you, she was on that phone probably within 15 to 30 minutes after she delivered the baby, delivered Tyler. She, she called Michelle. Michelle Marciniak, a.k.a. Spinderella, a.k.a. the best high school player in the nation. So she ended up going to Notre Dame. There was no hard feelings. You know, we understood. Surprising, right? Well, after a year, she called Pat. Michelle wanted to transfer to Tennessee. And here's where I learned something that I had never known about Pat Summit and UT. For almost a decade, Summit refused to take transfers, all because of a separate Sports Illustrated story that intimated that once upon a time, Summit took in too many transfers. I looked up the article. It's from December 1980. And damn, y'all, yeah, they burned her. They called Tennessee transfer you. And then this, quote, in the past, disgusted opponents seethed as lady volunteer coach Pat Head Summit stocked her teams with players who had switched from other schools. Then this, quote, Head Summit may finally shed her pawn shop proprietor's reputation. Who? Pawn shop proprietor. Finally, the dagger, a quote from Summit, followed by some editorializing. Pat said, the way people talked, they implied I illegally lured players here, she says, without really denying or admitting that she did just that. What? I had no idea. So from 85 to 93, we'd not taken a transfer. And there were many that wanted to transfer. Good players. You know, I was like, Pat, are you sure? And we need to think about this one. But she's like, nope, DeMoss not taking her. We couldn't get her the first time. Not going to take her the second time around. Like, okay. So then when Michelle called and Pat said, well, this is a little different. A lot of it was because of what happened. And there was always just a little bit of, a connection there, a little deeper than basketball, I think. And so she took Michelle. She took Michelle. In 1996, as a senior, Marciniak won Most Outstanding Player at the NCAA Tournament, a tournament the Lady Vols won, the first of three consecutive championships. Marciniak gets the big hug and deservedly. What a great player. She has been for the Lady Volunteer. A lot of people thought it was a love-hate relationship between her and Pat Summit, but I tell you, they love each other now. Uh, Pat and I talked at length about the role um, for me on this team, 
and it was as a leader, and it didn't matter if I scored. It didn't matter really what I did as long as we won and uh, as long as I got the job done, got the ball in people's hands, and that's that's what I tried to do this whole year, and uh, it paid off. Well, wow. She's been very unselfish. We have Shamik Wallace come in now. It's a great player, get a lot of recognition. And we we could not do that unless we had an unselfish senior class. And it started with Michelle and filtered down with Latina. They've been awesome. All right, Jess, what I love about Extra Extras and this one in particular is that it just provides so much more of that context that comes essentially through osmosis on men's sports side that you just like grow up learning. Mm -hmm. The context and history around these moments in time that I feel like were either lost or never really told widely, it just like tickles me to be able to understand history like through a new angle. And of course... Pat Summit, who apparently has become my favorite subject. I can't believe I don't know this. And I feel that way almost after every extra extra that you share with us. But this one in particular feels like the type of lore that, like you said, gets passed down through generations of sports fans. But Kate, one thing about this SI article that Pat Summit then, I guess, took to heart and didn't accept a transfer for eight years after reading a, is the journalist who wrote that, like, still with us? And B, what are their thoughts on the NCAA transfer <laughs> rules now? Because holy shit, the times have changed. Right? Can you imagine, I mean, as I said in the piece, labeling Pat Summit a pawn shop proprietor? I mean, beautiful alliteration. It really, yeah, she did a Real great, great turn of phrase. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what? So what you have done now is planted the seed for a follow-up extra, Ooh. extra. Ooh, go even deeper into the pawn shop proprietor controversy coming soon. <laughs> that was also good alliteration. Uh, well, the, what could be another P? Pawn shop proprietor pending. Pending. Kate, were you born in a state where you were like, I'm so glad I was born in this state? Because like in the United States, you it's like it's not like Europe where it's like you get born in one country and then you got the EU passport and you can go all over. Europe with it except for the UK now right like it doesn't yeah. it doesn't matter what state you're born in am I am I is this just so much Tennessee pride that like Pat Summit couldn't fathom her her kid being born in like Indiana or something so some background on that since we're going even deeper into our extra extra that Mickey DeMoss told me later on in our conversation was that one of the reasons that Pat was refusing to put the plane down in Richmond Virginia was because Virginia had just eliminated Tennessee in the previous NCAA uh, tournament. And so it was a it was an open wound for Pat. But she could so, have just crossed the border to like West Virginia. Yes, exactly. And but so I mean would, that okay. Yeah, but but I think it was driven by I, I think the South is a different kind of place. I certainly don't have that allegiance to where I was born, but I will say a fact I think you know, but I'm not sure the audience knows. Yes, I, I do sister, know this. <laughs> okay, my sister was born on the island of Corsica in France, and I was born in Rhode Island, and I am <sighs> upset about that to this day. So I do connect with the idea that some places are better to have been born 
than others. Certainly. And in this case, for Pat, Tennessee was it. But I have a question for you, even okay. though we're, we're at the bottom of the show and we yes. have to thank people soon. But how do you think you would be stuck on a plane with someone giving birth? Oh, I like this question because I think like the assumption is that like it's really uncomfortable for the person in labor. But I feel like as a spectator, <laughs> I would be probably more uncomfortable. Okay. So you would be like Mickey. You would be doing shots of Jack Daniels. Yeah, I I would be hiding in the bathroom probably. And I'd put my headphones on, turn on a podcast, probably the Dan Levitard show. (laughs) Find something to take my mind off of the gaping vagina in front of me with a baby coming out of it. (laughs) On that note. That's a visual that our our poor audience did not need. That's right. But hey, it's there. It's it's there it's if you want out it. out there in it's the open. And here we are. So we are now going to thank people who made this particular episode, which ends on that note. And the first person we should thank is you, not just for conjuring that beautiful illustrative image, but also for producing and being on this show. Well, I would also like to thank you, Kate, for writing that extra extra for us. It was beautiful. You're so welcome. We need to thank Nameless Numberhead for another wonderful Absolute sketch. banger, yeah. Yeah. I mean, thank God the Bragg hotline exists because I know a lot of people who need it. A lot of people who need Same. it. Same. Yes. We also have to thank Joel Schupack for the stellar sound design and Carl Scott for executive producing Off the Looking Glass. Oh, we should thank Skylar. Oh, yeah, obviously. Skylar and Mickey DeMoss, obviously. Yes, of course. Thank you. We'll see you next week. Reaching out to the mobile phone, first time, long time. Uh, listen, I love the show. The reason I am so happy for this line is finally I have a place to vent where no one will get tired of me. Because I am telling you right now, my friends, my family, my own daughter, everyone, my dad, they are tired of hearing about Rachel and, you know, signing a scholarship and committing to play lacrosse at Northwestern and, you know, the fact that she broke, shattered every single high school scoring record uh, by the time she was in 10th grade. Uh, You know, All-American teams, uh, number one travel team in the country. They are tired of it. And you know what? I have no one else to tell. But now I do because I'll call this line every five minutes and I'll just start bragging about it. Okay? And in case you missed it, again... Going the Northwestern lacrosse scholarship uh, shattered every high school record by the time she was in tenth grade. Uh, All American teams, number one travel team in the country. I mean, and listen, uh, if I'm going to brag, I might as well brag about myself. Uh, I taught her everything. Uh, how about that? I mean, so anyway, keep up the great work. Appreciate it. A great idea uh, with the brag line.